There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I am well, although I have a question, a type of a quandary, if you will. How do you open one of these fruit bag things, vegetable fruit bag things, when you've got a face mask on? I don't know. I was stood there for so long. So I got the face mask on in the supermarket, needed to get some fruit. So I pulled out one of the one of the bags. That was great. But I couldn't get it to open. And I hadn't realised before how much I just have to sort of wet my finger to get it to open. I was stood there for so long. And in the end, I thought, nope, I can't work this out. So I put the bag down and bought um, some pre-packed apples. That's how bad it was. So I need some guidance. I need your words of wisdom to show me where I've gone wrong because I cannot work that thing out. Honestly, defeated by a bag. It's so annoying. Anyway, I hope that all is well with you. Um, apart from, yes, driving myself mad, I'm fine. But I've had another listener's question. And uh, I'm a thank Debbie for this listener's question. So Debbie said... Do you ever keep a special place for your favourite quotes or sentences from a book? Um, because Debbie does and she's found it to be really useful. Do you know, it got me thinking. I, I had a vision. I had a vision of highlighters, more post-it notes than I already have. A, a big book that I would need to, like a ledger. And I would need sort of a special desk for the ledger that I would then open the book and look down and see all of this. And, uh, and I think it's a great idea just I just need to clone myself I think that's what I need to do in order to create this uh, this tomb this wonderful ledger of quotes the only thing that I can say the only quote that I do always remember and of course now I've got to recount it for you I'll forget it but let's hope not is and it's a silly silly little thing but it's from a book called Eat Pray Love yes it was made in a film as well and yes they did use the quote in the film as well but Eat Pray Love by Elizabeth Gilbert um and this woman basically is on a journey to discover herself, whether it's through um, love, being in love, uh, if eating delicious food or um, being more spiritual. And there's one point where she's just sort of not moaning about life, but just saying about her life and what gets her down. And someone who speaks very sort of clearly to her says, you know what? You need to grow a backbone where your wishbone is. And I thought, oh. That's very good. You need to grow a backbone where your wishbone is. Because I'm always thinking, oh, I wish and all of this. 
there we go. Need to stop doing that and have a backbone and get on with things. So there we go. That's my inspirational quote. So Debbie, you've raised a brilliant question and I have completely failed to answer it properly. But I hope that the um, awful <laughs> answer I have provided uh, with my ledger vision uh, has helped you. It's probably made you realise that you're never going to listen to this podcast again. But please don't, Debbie, because it's lovely having, having you listen. Um, so we've got some brilliant books being read on the uh, wonderful Facebook group. Um, so if you want to join the fun, just type, go into Facebook, type in Quick Book Reviews Podcast and, and you should be able to find us. You do have to answer a question to join us. It's a very complicated question. No, it's not. It's just about books, funnily enough. Um, but uh, we've got Rowena reading Pies and Prejudice uh, by Stuart McConey. I need to read that book. I haven't read it and it does look really good. Um, Johan's reading Splinters of Scarlet by Emily Bain Murphy. I've got that book. I need to actually read it. Nick is reading The Split by Sharon Bolton. I really enjoyed that one. Listen to it on audiobook. Enjoyed that one. Laura's reading Once Upon a River by Diane, Diane Setterfield. Um, I've got that book to read and I will talk to you about it once I've read it. <clears throat> yes, that. That's my view so far. Anyway, um, Mark is reading A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. Mark has a great talent for spotting and reading different books that I've never heard of every time. I don't think there's a book he's read um, that that I've heard of. So he defeats me all the time and I need to look at that one as well. Although Mark did say Not for the Faint Hearted, which basically means Philippa do not read this book. Anyway, Laurie has just finished The Ruin by Dervla McTiernan. I've got that and I need to read it. Karen is reading The Garden of Evening Mist by Tan Toyang. Victoria is reading 29 Seconds by TM Logan. And Kate is reading The Choice by Edith Edgar. So lots going on there. Um, and I have some wonderful books to talk to you about. I know I often say, oh, I've got some great books. Um, but we've got five books, four of them. I really, really enjoyed and I can't wait to talk to you about one I am just perplexed by, but I know that so many people love it. So I still wanted to talk to you about it because it might appeal. You never know. So the books we've got, I'm just arranging them in order. Sorry for the background noise, but it's very exciting. We've got Peter James's I Follow You. We've got Ellie Griffiths, The Postscript Murders. We've got One Step Behind by Lauren North. We've got Precious You by Helen Monks Tarker and we've got The Bass Rock by Evie Wilde. Some quite a range, some absolute stunners. And what's wonderful is that we get to talk to Peter James today. So really looking forward to that. And um, we're going to follow the new ish tradition of having the author interview earlier on. See how it goes. If you like it, if you don't like it, let me know. Um, but we better get started on these books. So I'm going to get back to the very beginning. Can you hear all these books? Piling them up. I love it. So Peter James's latest is called I Follow You. And although he writes a lot of series books, uh, one in particular, the uh, Roy Grace series. This is actually a standalone. So if you have never read any of Peter James's books and you just think, well, I don't know if they're my sort of thing. I imagine they will be. But this would be a good one for you to sort of immerse yourself in. You get a really good feel for his pace, his characterisation, uh, the way he plots um, and the way you just have to keep turning the pages to find out 
what happens um, and that he also makes you feel a bit sort of uh, unnerved I think uh, this book certainly did uh, so let's read the blurb to the outside world suave charming and confident doctor Marcus Valentine has it all a loving wife three kids a great job but there's something missing there always has been or rather someone Driving to work one morning, his mind elsewhere and not on the road, he almost mows down a female jogger on a crossing. As she runs on, Marcus is transfixed. Infatuated, she is the spitting image of a girl he was crazy about in his teens, a girl he has never been able to get out of his head. Lynette had dumped him harshly. For years, he has fantasised about seeing her again and rekindling their flame. Might that jogger possibly be her after all this time? Could this be the most incredible coincidence? Despite all his attempts to resist, his thoughts are consumed by this woman. And when events take a tragically unexpected turn, his obsession threatens to destroy both their worlds. But still, he won't stop. Can't stop. So that's very good. I really enjoyed this book. Um, it certainly, as I said, is a page turner for me. Um, I could see it happening. It was a bit like watching a film while reading the book of it uh, it's very interesting in terms of some of the risks of running these days and using social media to uh, tell people what you're doing um, I mean I yes I I run well run is a strong word I move at a pace that is faster than when I walk um, and I don't use any social media things because I don't want to embarrass myself any more publicly by people seeing how slowly I run. So that's what, I, you know, because some people are like, oh, here's a route and I did it in whatever seconds. That's not me. I just can't do that. Um, so I was able to read this book and not be as scared as I would have been if I was using these apps. But I thought it was really interesting, really thought provoking. Um, and we're going to talk to Peter about what led him to write this book and uh, all that's involved, because this guy does a lot of research, a lot of um, sort of police procedural research, particularly with the Roy, Roy Grace series. So it's going to be really interesting to talk to him about that. But certainly I follow you if you're looking for a standalone thriller or if you're wanting to sort of get into his books but don't know where to start. I'd say this is a really good one because it's just um, it's a great book. It's a, it's a good read. Um, so let's talk to Peter now. Actually, before we get started, um, I don't know what was going on uh, when we recorded this, but clearly there were some Wi-Fi issues. I don't know if NASA was doing some testing or something, but there was a problem and it was happening and there was nothing I could do about it. So the there are a few Wi-Fi issues in the recording. I apologise. I have bashed my head against a wall in frustration trying to fix it. So bear with, bear with me because it's a really interesting interview to hear what Peter has to say. Uh, not my waffle, of course. So please accept my apologies for the Wi-Fi. It's driven me mad. So here we go. Here's Peter. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Great. Thank you. So this this book, this wonderful book, I'm holding it in my hands. Um, it, it seems to start from quite a simple concept. And uh, I believe it was based on the experience of, of your wife and, and her running. Yeah, Lara, my wife, is a, is a really keen runner. And about three years, four or five years ago, she started using one of the running apps, Strava, mm. which is a great app. I use it too. I, I run as well, not as much as Lara. And 
the great thing with, with, with Strava is that you can not only does it track your entire route, yeah, but you can, other people can follow you, uh, and you can follow them, and you can then compare your times against theirs, male, female, age brackets a lot. And oh, it's that personal. Yeah, it even breaks down to segments, you know, different bits of road. And she's on a kind of fairly remote country track. Yeah. And a jogger came the other way and she just went high and he went high. She got home, there was a sort of ping. And she saw this guy began to follow her, completely stranger. And anyway, she thought, okay. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, she noticed that whenever she was out running, he would follow her and she was going down quite remote woodland tracks and things and she said you know this could be quite scary yeah uh, he knows what time you know where i live because he can work out where i start and finish he knows my running pattern where i go and that's what kind of gave me the idea we hadn't been there very long and i was partway through writing the book at that point because i decided to set the entire book in jersey because i thought claustrophobia was a small item work for it mm. and she said it just happened again. She was out running one, one evening in Jersey, again out in the countryside, waved at somebody, got home, bing, and he starts following her. No. And so that was the kind of the idea for the book, that how easy it would be for someone to uh, really stalk somebody if they wanted to through social media. I, I've kind of, I've always loved the idea of obsession. And... Mm. Um, I remember when I was at school, uh, there was this very beautiful teenage, teenage, she's about 16, girl up here. We were all sitting around one Sunday afternoon in this field, smoking, you know, and listening to music. <laughs> and this stunning bird walks across the field. One of my mates kind of had a brief fling with her, and then she kind of completely dumped him, and he was devastated. You know, for months afterwards, in a young love has a kind of really big or young infatuation can have a big impact on, on your life. Yeah, indeed. Um, so I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of combine this, this obsession with, with the kind of running out. So yeah, the book starts with my, I wanted to, I've always found medics interesting people, particularly <laughs> consultants. You know, I've written yeah. a few books <laughs> with Roy Grace and pre-Roy Grace about the medical world. And some consultants are bloody arrogant people. <laughs> yes. Uh, not all, but some. Not some great ones, but there are a yeah. few that really think they're God. Yeah. And yeah, I, my, my character, Marcus Valentine, is um, he's a consultant obstetrician at Jersey Hospital. Um, but some of the staff do find him a little bit arrogant at times. But mm. they, I'm going to ask about characters because you take this in some ways sort of simple concept although very eerie and then you add in these wonderful characters that really you know add to it and make it do, do is it just a case of one character comes first or do they all crowd in into your mind as as one group first and foremost whenever i teach creative writing i, I say there's an inseparable trinity of character research and plot and deliberately in that order because I think we read books to find out what happens to characters we engage with. Yes. You know, if we do not engage with a character right very early on in the book, even in the first paragraph, mm. um, if we don't engage with the characters, we, 
you can have the best plot in the world, it ain't going to be interesting. Uh, uh, and then secondly, research, because I think people who read it, the fact that they're reading means that we're, they're intelligent. Mm. And I think people don't just want a page-turning story. They want to learn something about the world in which we live, about human nature, and yeah. as we read. So that's why I say research is so paramount, because if you don't believe the author knows what or she's writing about, again, you're going to lose faith in the book very quickly. And plot comes a long way third. Um, I love plotting. It, it, it's fun. I, was, I, I regard plotting as like playing chess with myself. <laughs> I, used, I used to play a lot of chess as a kid, and I think that's where it came from. But it's character first. So I always, 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 I collect people. You know, I, yes. I, could, be, I could see somebody walking down the street, and I'll suddenly take a photograph or sitting in a restaurant oh. and sort of bank, bank them. Yes, and think, right, there'll be a story on, on you later. Yeah. yeah. And names too. I'll sometimes see a name, you know, on a hoarding for a shop, or, or just a name will just kind of pop. And, 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 and I don't know why some names just appeal, but I think names are important. Yes, yes, absolutely. I I agree. And and pace. I mean, you you, you have these very short chapters, and the pace the pace is just phenomenal in in the book. You really keep the story going. Is that a a deliberate ploy of yours to sort of keep us unable to put the book down? Well, I hope so. But <laughs> well, I, I, I write the way that I like to read. And, and, I, and you know, I'm like most of us, and I tend to read in bed at night and I'm tired. And if I pick up a, a, a novel and I look at the chapter and it's 53 pages long, I think, oh, I'll start that, I'll have that tomorrow. Yeah. If it's like two pages, I go, well, just read that. And then, oh, the next chapter is only one and a half pages. I'll have that. Oh, the next chapter is only four pages. The next thing I know, it's three in the morning and I'm still reading. Um, I've, I, I, mean, I, I, I get a lot of emails and I love it. Not just a compliment, but something that really warms my heart is when someone says, you got me back into reading again. Yeah. Or my husband hasn't read a book for 20 years, but he found yours easy to read. Um, and maybe the short chapters and relatively short sentences has something to do with that yes i can i can imagine that what what's your favorite part of the writing process i mean you mentioned about plotting and how you enjoy the chess game of that but is that your most favorite part of writing um do you know i mean it's a really good question because i'm i'm in that favorite part right now on my on the 17th Roy grace which is the end game uh, oh. I'm, writing, I'm, I'm i'm writing the last 50, 60 pages, the climax. Wow. And it, I always know the ending when I start a book, where I want to get to. But as I approach it, I start to think of a better ending. And I just love it when I'm out running or I'm walking the dogs and suddenly I think, oh yes, that's popped into my head. I love it. <laughs> um, and, and it's really exciting. I, I, I just love that end game and, and I, my kind of my favorite writing time, although I write in the mornings, my really best creative time is about six to half eight in the evening. Stiff drink, music, and I get in the zone. And that's when the stuff really sometimes pops. My Hemingway said, write drunk, but edit sober. Yes. <laughs> but I, I just love it um, when I'm close to the end. I've got the heavy lifting of the book done. Um, but you know, for me, the two most important lines in the book. The first line 
mm. because if you don't write a great first line, I think people ain't going to pick your book up if they don't know you. And if you write a crap last line, they'll never read you again. You take them on a journey that maybe that's taken somebody days, even weeks to read. Yes. And if you're not now, so the, the ending for me is so critical. I, um, I agree. I was listening to an interview uh, where an author was saying he felt the ending didn't matter. And, and I think it's absolutely crucial. It's a reward for the, for the reader. And uh, it, it, it's, it's whether they'd go out and buy your next book as well. Ah, do you know, something that the late, lovely James Herbert told me, um, you know, we, we, we lived near each other and became really great mates. Uh, and he was wonderful to me when I was going through my divorce back in 1998. And he was a true, true foul weather friend. Mm. And he always said to me in my early books, he said, Pete, he said, you end him too fast. You're ending him too fast. You've got to give him the satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, he was so right. Yes, uh, and, and 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 I've always, you know, I've always heeded his advice. And your um, books, for me, are very visual. I can very easily see everything, almost like a movie as it's happening. Do do you write that deliberately, or is that just a result of the writing that you do? No, it is. I think we like to visualize. I I love to figure out where I am mm. um, in a book. Um, you know, with the Roy Graysons. You know, Brighton is so great to write about. Jersey is just, and I, it was really exciting for me to, to write about Jersey because I was fresh to the island. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, yeah. But it's got, you know, as w with all um, beauty, there's also darkness as well. You know, it's got its dark, dark past of the German occupation. It, it, it's had its share of killers over the years. Well, the. Um, the book really got me reading about Jersey because, to be honest, my only main experience so far is Bergerac, which is a few, <laughs> few years ago. And it, it is, yeah. you're right, it's a fascinating place and so small and contained. You can just imagine these characters that have let loose on here and, and, and nowhere really to hide. With, I follow you where I wanted this the guy. He's driving along, he's late for work. He almost runs over this woman because he's not mm. looking and she's running across the road and she's got a green light and she just reminds him of this girl incredibly who when he was 16 he was infatuated with and she dumped him in favor of a hairy biker <laughs> um and he just wanted could this be her you know 30 years on and then you know he meets her by sheer chance you know, two weeks later uh, and then bumps into her again. And that couldn't happen, say, in London without stretching coincidence. Mm. You know, when we first moved here, there's one big shopping street in, in town, which is called King Street. And somebody said to me, within six months, you will never walk down King Street without bumping into somebody you know. So will Jersey feature again in future books? Definitely. I did have um, the previous Roy Grace novel, uh, the one that's currently out, Dead at First Sight, had some scenes in Jersey. Um, I had a an internet romance fraud villain operating. Yes, yes. His scattering business out of Jersey, um, but I will definitely write write more. I haven't figured out quite what. But I'm, the um, the next Roy Grace I'm, I'm writing, I'm certainly got plans uh, to include some of Jersey in it. I think maybe I have Roy and Cleo come on holiday here. Something horrible happened. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All them. And talking of Roy Grace, you've also got the filming starting with uh, 
John Sims, which is terribly exciting. Hi, it's in its third week. It's in its third week of production now. And it, I'm, I'm thrilled to bits of it. Just they are doing such a great job on it. Um, I, and they're great to work with as well. I mean, John has been brilliant. He really thinks about it. Um, you know, the, one of the first scenes, because we're doing the books in sequence, and the first scene is dead, in Dead Simple when you know, his wife Sandy left, vanished nine years earlier, and he's, he's not been on a date in nine years, and his mate Len Branson, for a joke, picks his up for a blind date. And the, the, right at the start of the book, and early on in, in, in the television, film, John Sim goes to the pub on this blind date and John emailed me and he said, should I be wearing my wedding ring or should I take it off? Gosh, you've also got the stage shows. I mean, I've seen um, A House on Cold Hill uh, as a stage show and, the, and Roy Grace, but you've also got Looking Good Dead coming out, hopefully yes. spring next it's, year, could be well timed. Yeah. Um, we've taken a lot of bookings already for it, going on like a 20 week national tour. So we are going ahead with it and just keeping our fingers crossed that um, we'll be able to um, have open theatres, which I think we will. There'll be theatres that'll be socially distanced, um, but hopefully in nearly six months' time that we'll be more advanced with yeah. COVID, either vaccine or nasal sprays or... Yes, or it certainly looks that way. So hopefully, uh, well, look forward to... And, and I love the stage plays. They are... Um, this will be the fourth Roy Gray stage play, and we had the House on Cold Hills with the fifth stage play. And because I love, I mean, with the book, you know, any copy of the book, any page is going to be the same in every copy of every book. Yeah. Every every performance and play is different and and, and dangerous sometimes. You know, things happen. I remember in, in Dead Simple when we had um, Jamie Lomaz was in the coffin. And we had the crash from the van, you know, they, they bury him alive in yeah. the road and uh, for a joke on his, on his stag night and they're going to come back in two hours time and dig him up yeah. and he's left in the, in the grave, a walkie talkie and a bottle of whiskey and his mates all go off in the van and they hit a cement truck head on, bam, and they're, they're killed and he's left alive in the coffin. And we, we got all the theatres, so they were brilliant, when, when the accident happened, the theatres was completely dark, every light went off even the emergency lights, complete darkness. And then in the darkness, you hear Jamie Lomez call out for the walkie-talkie, where am I? <gasps> and in one performance, I was sitting back of the woods, this bloke shouts out, you're in Woking, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the great thing as well about the play is when you're reading a book, you're relying on the reader being able to have the time to focus on the book and, and not other things happen that take them away. Whereas when you when somebody's watching the play, that they, they are there unless something awful happens, they are there for the for the completion of the story, um, and I think that uh, that that's wonderful for the for the audience to be able to just focus on on all these treasures you provide because you you don't give readers or viewers an easy time necessarily. I would say you're you're you know you're quite gut wrenching. There are times when you when you push it, and I am quite scared. You're almost the sort of epitome of on the edge of your seat. Is that what you aim to do? Yes, I do. Without, I try not. I mean, I, you know, I think some of my very early books, I, I veered towards kind of horror and a bit sort of um, gratuitous violence for a couple of books. 
And I learned very quickly, actually, hey, I don't like reading that stuff. Uh, you know, I, I want to put, give my readers emotional torture. <laughs> but but what, what I love best is, is um, what, I, what I call the everyday sinister. That can be un unnerving enough. Well, my last question is really, some authors, some new authors would think that the hardest bit is the sort of first or second book. Uh, and I'm interested in whether you think that, or actually, the more of a reputation you you have as you do, d does it become harder to sort of keep pulling the goods out of the bag? Which which would you say? I. It's it's a great question. I think when I when I started writing, my kind of real literary heroes like Alastair MacLean, seemed to me that as they got more successful, they got lazier. Um, and their books got slacker and longer. Now, whether that's because they got lazy or whether because their editors became scared to edit them, but I always kind of bowed that if I ever was lucky enough to have any kind of success, I would always try and write every book better than the last, raise the bar. And that's what I, what I do. And so in some ways, I find it harder because um, I, I kind of feel I wanted to write a better book with each book. Um, the, e the slightly easier part is that, that I, I know that um, it'll come good somehow. Yes. Um, I, yes. I, and I have a great help in my wife, Lara, uh, and also I have Roy Grace, so I have another great help, and I have a real-life detective, Dave Gaylor, who Roy Grace is model on, and Dave is... He was Detective Chief Superintendent, head of major crime for Sussex. When I remember them asked me if I'd ever thought of creating a detective as a fictional character back in 2002. And Dave and I have subsequently become close mates. When Laura and I got married, he was the best man. Oh, uh, he's over in Jersey every two to three weeks, and we worked through my pages I've written and getting the authenticity right, which yeah. is so important. Um, so I've got a great team. So I know that. And they rein me in too if I get too wild. <laughs> um, but I do, I talk to so many writers who actually don't like writing. And I actually love it. I'm glad you still love it because we still love reading your books. And I Follow You is, is, is another classic. So, Peter, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Great talking to you. Well, that was just so interesting, wasn't it? Great. Thanks to uh, Peter Jones for, for coming on and, and talking about his latest book, I Follow You. Um, so now we're moving on. You may have heard me mention the name Ellie Griffiths before, I think, once or twice. And her latest book, The Postscript Murders, is out. This is a great book. Um, it's sort of a standalone. So um, I think it was last year or the year before, Ellie published a book called The Stranger Diaries, and that was a standalone. And in it was um, a DS, DS Harbinger Core. And that character follows on into this new book, The Postscript Murders. So what I'm trying to say in a very roundabout, waffly way is that if you want to, again, just as with the Peter James one, if you want to try an Ellie Griffiths book, but not have to commit yourself at the beginning to reading 12 books in the series, then this would be a great one for you. 
Um, you don't have to have read The Stranger Diaries at all for you to just enjoy this as it is. Um, you can read The Stranger Diaries, but I really would say it, you don't have to at all. And if you haven't read any of Ellie Griffith's books, um, but say you've read uh, Richard Odman's The Thursday Murder Club and you enjoyed that and you're looking for something along those lines, I would say this would be right up your street. I don't know how Ellie Griffiths can... They're not different genres, but they are different um, characters, styles, stories, approaches. She she can write. Anyway, I know I go on about Ellie Griffiths so much. Um, and, and I'll try to stop now uh, because it's probably getting too much and she's probably going to think I'm stalking her. But anyway, it's a great book, The Postscript Murders. Let me let me tell you about it. The death of a 90-year-old woman shouldn't be suspicious. D.S. Harbinder Corps certainly sees nothing to concern her in carers Natalka's account of Peggy Smith's death. But when Natalka reveals that Peggy lied about her heart condition and that she had been sure someone was following her, and that Peggy had been a murder consultant who plotted deaths for authors and knew more about murder than anyone has a right to. And when clearing out Peggy's flat ends in Natalka being held at gunpoint by a masked figure, well, then D.S. Harbindercore thinks that maybe there is no such thing as an unsuspicious death after all. P.S. Trust no one. Um, I thought it was... It was a great book. It was one where I did want to keep reading because I wanted to find out and there were these sort of mysteries. It was the murder to solve. Um, but I also wanted to revel in these really rather splendid characters as you go along. Um, so if you're a fan of Ellie Griffiths, if you're a fan of the new Richard Osman one, this should be right up there. Um, and if it doesn't get the same publicity, then I'll be very cross because, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good book. And uh, yeah, I I would just really recommend it very highly. Super read, um, sort of enjoyable. It's got its funny moments. You've got the characters just observing the characters and the different sort of um, routes they go through in life and the thoughts that they have. I just really enjoyed it. So it's a it's a it's an why do I keep saying it's a it's an idyllic blend of characterization, crime. And I'm looking for something else with another with beginning with C and contentment. It is it's it's a bit like Sunday evening TV. It's just a really good one. So there we are. The Postscript Murders by Ellie Griffiths. But of course you'd would expect me to have raved about it. But I really, really rave. Even if I didn't know anything about Ellie Griffiths, um, I would be raving about this book. And that's it. I'm not going to say any more about that now, Amen. Right, so we're on to another book, um, and this is called One Step Behind by Lauren North. Now, if you were paying attention, um, you may remember that we interviewed Lauren last week as one of the sort of the three musketeers of the authors who all had their book published on the same day. And Lauren's was one book that I hadn't reviewed before, so I thought it was only fair um, to, to review this one for you. So uh, just it might be repeating a bit of what Lauren said last time, but let me read you the blurb. Uh, Jenna is a wife, a mother, a doctor. She is also the victim of a stalker. Every time she leaves her house, she sees him. Disturbing gifts are left at her door. Cruel emails are sent to her colleagues. She has no idea who this man is, but she feels powerless against him. Until the day he is brought into her hospital after a serious accident and Jenna is given the chance to find out once and for all why this man is tormenting her. Now the power is all hers. 
But how many lines is she willing to cross to take back control of her life? Um, I enjoyed this one. I was surprised because um, I, because I hadn't heard of it. I don't know why I hadn't heard of it. Um, and there being quite a few thrillers coming out, I did think, oh gosh, I'm, I, I don't know if this one's going to work. But it did. It absolutely did. From the very beginning, it drew me in. And then uh, pretty soon on in the in the story, there's this gear change. And suddenly, instead of being stalked, she she has this man in in the hospital. She's got chance to find out what happens. And it just created even more pace to the to the book. Um, And I would definitely be reading more of Lauren's books after this. I thought it was a really, really good book, capably written Um, one for, you know, if you like reading books as well with different media in like text messages emails that sort of thing I just thought it was really really good Uh, a fairly quick read and I think that's because it's very pacey and because you just want to know what is going on Um, and it delivers Uh, so really an extraordinary book one step behind Lauren North very good indeed you see I said there'd be some good books and I wasn't lying and speaking of good books I need to tell you about Precious You. Um, Now, there had been so much raving about this book before it was published um, that uh, I was intrigued from from the beginning. And the headline on the front cover is She's Got Your Job, She Wants Your Life. Uh, Precious You by Helen Monks Tarker. Um, I thought it was very, very good. If you like Girl on the Train, if you like Gone Girl, then I think this is something for you. I would actually go so far as to say possibly better than Girl on a Train. I'm going to get shot down for saying that, but it really delivered for me. Um, It was believable and uh, it was delivered in a way where you just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, Yeah, I thought it it was really good. Psychologically damaging, I I would say this book is. So let's read the blurb as, as we like to do. Trusting you was my first mistake. At first, Catherine dismisses her early 20s intern as a millennial snowflake, entitled, moralistic, soft. But Lily's youth and beauty remind Catherine of everything she once had, and she begins to develop a dark fascination with her new colleague. Is Lily as perfect as she seems, or could she have a sinister hidden agenda? As Catherine is drawn into an obsessive power struggle with the intern, a disturbing picture emerges of two women hiding dark secrets, and who are desperate enough to do anything to come out on top. Uh, With explosive twists at every turn, Precious You is a powerfully gripping story of obsession, revenge and deceit. And I read that bit to you because I completely agree. I think that's an excellent summary. Um, It's about a situation that at first look might seem perfectly reasonable. You have a new intern... um, you know, maybe you've got your issues, maybe they've got their issues, but suddenly the whole dynamic changes and becomes a lot more sinister. And I really, really enjoyed it. It um, mesmerising, I would say, unnerving um, and just great. Uh, I mean, this, this lady can clearly write and I just thought it was um, it was exceptional. So there we go. I do have to disclose, I should, for the purpose of disclosing things that should be disclosed that I do actually know this author or I knew her um so I did have to just message Helen just to say is, is, 
you. Is this right? Um, but uh, Helen used to do uh, a lot of um, financial journalism and she would uh, contact me about different things. And um, yes, yeah, so I will disclose that. I know Helen, but it has no bearing on the book. You know me, I'm not going to rave about a book I don't like, but I really like this one. Um, and I think it's taken Helen a long time to get to this point of being published. And I just think, bravo, it, uh, Helen, it was worth the wait. It was worth the struggle because this one's a blinder. Did I just say cuz? <gasps> How uncouth of me, because this one's a blinder. So there you go, precious you. Now the last one, oh, I have struggled with this book. This is The Base Rock by Evie Wilde. I'll read you the blurb and then I'll tell you, you know, basically the catastrophe that's been going on with this book. Surging out of the sea, The Base Rock has for centuries watched over the lives that pass under its shadow on the Scottish mainland. And across the centuries, the fates of three women are linked to this place, to each other. In the early 1700s, Sarah, accused of being a witch, flees for her life. In the aftermath of the Second World War, Ruth navigates a new house, a new husband, and the strange waters of the local community. Six decades later, the house stands empty. Viv, mourning the death of her father, catalogues Ruth's belongings and discovers her place in the past, and perhaps a way forward. Each woman's choices are circumscribed in ways big and small by the men in their lives but in sisterhood there is the hope of survival and new life intricately crafted and compulsively readable the base rock burns bright with anger and love now that sounds like a great book doesn't it and i have tried four times to get into this book now and i can't and yet um, I read it because there's an online book club that, that I'm part of and we were doing the book. Um, and uh, well, I would say 95% of the people that were on the book club, I think there were 27 of us, absolutely loved it and gave it five out of five. There were maybe three or four of us. See, I, this is no good because I'm getting my percentages wrong now, aren't I? Dear, oh dear. Maybe there were more than 27 of us. Anyway, a few of us just really struggled with it. it there was nobody there that had um, been able to read the book, not struggled with it, been able to read it and didn't love it. And because people were talking so eloquently about this book, it's just made me think maybe I need to go back and try it a fifth time. I think if you like books that are sort of slightly quirky, if you like books that um, may be about witchcraft, about history, um, key themes about women, that there is some brutality in it which you need to be prepared for. Um, but if you just like something slightly different, you know, not like The Silent Companions, but it's not like that at all. Um, but a, a quirky in a in a way that it looks back and, and forward. And I don't know, I don't even know what the problem was with it. I can recognise that it is a superb book. I can recognise that it is written very well, but I just couldn't get onto it. It's sometimes, and I suppose because I have to read quite a few books quite quickly, it's a bit like that there are trains going past and if I can just jump on the train and get settled on the train quickly, I'm fine. If it's a train that I have to run even harder to get on the train and then when I'm on the train, I haven't got my ticket and I don't know where I'm sitting down. Uh, I just 
I have to get off the train. And I've tried to get on this train. <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about trains with these books, but I tried to get on this train four times and I failed. So I, this isn't a, a review of the book to say it's bad. Uh, if if it sounds interesting, read it because everyone that did um, did get on the train and and could find their seat and were settled and were reading the book, they all absolutely loved it. So see what you think and please let me know because this is a book I'm not going to pass this on. This is a book that has defeated me and uh, that's made me very cross. So I, I if you want to try the train, the <laughs> getting on the train of a book called The Base Rock by Evie Wilde do so and um, be aware it's quite nasty in places um and please tell me what you think because i am beating um this book against my head because i'm infuriated with it i have been beaten by a book and i don't like that to happen but equally i recognize that it's a good book so i can't say it's the book's fault i think it's mine and maybe maybe another time i will read it and i'll be jumping on that train with joy and find my seat immediately who knows maybe i'll just stop talking about trains who'd have thought that anyway so we've covered five books today we've covered i follow you by peter james we've covered the postscript murders by ellie griffiths um, we've covered one step behind by lauren north uh, we've covered precious you by helen monks tarker and the base rock by Evie Wilde. I think I think I've talked enough today. I I don't know what I've done. I've not been able to pronounce words. I've gone on about trains. Um, I've gone on about food bags that I can't open. If you have stuck with me to this point, you are to be congratulated. Let's only hope that <laughs> the next week there are better and brighter things. Because frankly, uh, yeah, that this coffee is required immediately I think anyway I better get on and keep reading because as you'd expect me to say I have some amazing amazing books to talk to you about next week and an author interview that I'm already jumping up and down about so look after yourselves take care and I'll see you very soon okay take care now bye-bye you've been listening to the quick book reviews podcast that's enough books said no one ever. See you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible 
irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.